All right, leading us off, it is that Nick Wilson with Dustin Fox. Afternoon drive as the two of them discuss the latest with Deshaun Watson. I think there are some hardliners on either side of things, and I get it. Uh, this is this this player because of everything. There is there's an element that that's that's just the way it's going to be. A lot of people in the middle and a few people in the extremes. But in the national media or or the national analysis, because it's not even media, the national analysis, it is extremes. And, and it is one-sided extreme. And I don't understand how we get there nationally if you're not watching him day in, day out like we are. And that's the frustration. This is like you're negating what I do think. Like, I don't think you can just address Deshaun as, well, is he worth $230 million or not? Yes or no. Because I don't know how many quarterbacks, like Justin Herbert. Has Justin Herbert fulfilled the prophecy? No, he's played really good football. He's also lost too many games and hasn't won in the playoffs. So does that mean yep. Justin Herbert's a scrub? That mean, that means he's a slap ass. He's not worth the contract. He's going to get paid. Or I think he got paid. No, just means he hasn't done it yet. So you and I are much closer in agreement. But I don't understand this hardlining crap from people who haven't watched every game. Yeah, I do think there's a big difference between the people that have watched every game and the people that haven't. And, and listen, I've done a national show. I still do a national show on CBS Sports Radio, but I did the national thing where it was my that was my every day. And so I understand how tough it is to, you know, your helicopter in is all you do. I, I mean, it's really all it is. You can try your best to watch every condensed snap that you have. Like when I was in Houston, for instance, I would watch the half-hour condensed games of every single game in the NFL, and even that, you're missing some context there. You're missing some of what's going on, and I, I know I'm a psychopath. I'm a crazy person. Not everybody does that. Not, not everybody comes close to doing half of that, okay? I'm just, I'm borderline crazy is all that is. I, you know, I just care. I care is all it comes down to. The reality is that not everybody can care that much, and not everybody can put the time into it. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I, I believe everyone's word outside of Cleveland with their thoughts and opinions. And I do think everyone inside of Cleveland has a very similar thought process to what's currently going on with Deshaun. We're not sold, but we saw some good things. And we saw some things that hopefully will carry over. And you know what? After Baltimore, we're going to have a better indication of where they all stand and where Deshaun stands on top of it. Now, I had a lower bar than other people, okay? I'm not – maybe that's all that was. Nobody was winning limbo getting underneath my bar for this weekend. It just wasn't happening, okay? Watching him throw deep passes that floated and then dropped right into Amari's arms as if he had picked up the ball and placed it there was pretty great, though. Doesn't mean he's all of a sudden the old Deshaun. Doesn't mean he's back to being a top-five quarterback, but it was exactly what the Browns needed to see. Good passes, no turnovers, took care of the ball while taking some shots. Can't ask for much more than that. All right, next up, it's Ken and Lima. The two of them discuss voting day. Hey, it's voting day. It is. Lock in your votes. Vote or die, get in your votes. How often do you vote? Uh, do you, uh, how often do you vote? Twice a day. Have you- <laughs> for the last month. <laughs> Has it gone well for you? <laughs> Different states. Hey, do what you can. <laughs> if they couldn't prove, they couldn't prove voter fraud last time, this time we can do it. I'll give them all the evidence they need. <laughs> oh, hell. Do you miss many uh, elections, though? That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, how often do you vote? I haven't. I had one out of desperation. If you'll remember the the uh, the 2000, the 2000 election. <laughs> no, was it, uh, I was uh, down at OU. 
I was down at OU, and I had to overnight a ballot because I was an idiot. Oh, yeah? And so I had to actually pay, like, 20 bucks to vote. And I'm like, this is a waste of time. That kind of soured me on voting for a little bit. Like, what am I doing? I'm a college kid, broke college kid, and I'm overnighting a ballot because I was irresponsible and didn't get anything done on time. I do think that mentality shifts. Now, I remember voting for presidential elections in college. I remember winning uh, uh, 24 packs of, of beer based off of results in college because I, I went to school in Missouri, right? And I went to school in Missouri, and just, there was just no belief that Obama could win. And so I just bet as many people as I possibly could because I just I, – I, the, the Missouri people I was friends with, they didn't understand that liberals and like that – like they didn't understand big cities were very liberal is basically what I'm getting at here, right? And they didn't understand that, and that's fine. But I won a lot of beer based off of those bets is the point. At that age, it's really tough to convince yourself that your vote matters. It is very tough to convince yourself that your vote matters. Now, at 34 years old, I know that it matters. And I also understand that it's really nice if I get it wrong, then I get to complain about it if I, as long as I casted my vote. If I don't cast my vote, I don't get to complain about it. So I like to vote because if I get it wrong and then it ends up happening and then it, it goes horribly, then I get to just complain about it to everybody and anybody. But I don't really like talking politics much if I'm being honest about it. It's not my thing. It's really not my thing. Just don't care for it. A lot of sports broadcasters really do love talking uh, like politics and they secretly want to be on some sort of uh, you know news station. Uh, not me. Not me. Not ever. I, I'd rather deal with the in the toy bin of society. Please and thank you. Next up. Dan Menigan, Baskin and Phelps on the Voight hire. I don't think the front office is going to be the earpiece or anything like that, but I definitely think they're going to have their thumb on how certain things operate. I think your days of the the perfect example is Ahmed Rosario hitting second in this lineup. Right. Clearly a Terry Francona move. Still bothering you, huh? Well, it's it's the example of what I'm talking about. It's the perfect one, which is that he was he was somebody who should not be getting the second most at bats for a team. I don't know if you're going to see something like that with Stephen Vogt. Yeah. Well, we how could we? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to know, but I if you had me draw it up, I think what's going to happen here, and this is just a complete guess, obviously. Time will tell on this one. I would think he's going to be more of a puppet for the front office than he is anything. They're going to mold him, okay? They're going to have him uh, be able to, to do their bidding, so to speak, in a way that they didn't, they didn't have with Tito. Tito beat his own drum, and you really couldn't tell Tito anything because the man had one World Series, and he's one of the best managers in the game. You couldn't tell that man anything. I think baseball managing, there's two sides of the equation, though. I think there is how you deal with the players is one element. Tito was awesome. And then what you actually do in-game, and that's where I always thought Tito fell short. I think Tito was world-class with how he dealt with players, with how he built up an atmosphere. And all these things do matter. 162 games over a long season, keeping the atmosphere the right way, having, uh, making sure that everything is right is a valuable skill. That's where he was great at. The bet here is that Stephen Boat can be that guy, or at least a fraction of that guy, and then the front office can do the other things, like have Andres Jimenez in a seven-win season seven wins above replacement season bat in the two hole or just J-Ram someone that is great at hitting in the two hole and not necessarily Rosario that's what I think they're going for didn't hate it Nick and Dustin on naps
There was a gentleman called Steve Magnus, not to be confused with Steve Magnini's. And he is... Uh, you want to go to Magnini's? You want to go to Magnini's and take a nap or whatnot? Um, take a nap at Magnini's? And apparently he's a, a performance coach and an author. And so some of his books do hard things. He's also co-founder of The Growth Equation. Some of these sound borderline um, bedroom infused. But he tweeted out today, We need nap time for adults in the workplace. Just copy pre-K, pull out the mats, turn the lights off, and either sleep or close your eyes for a bit. People will be more productive, energized, and maybe even happier. And then Seth Davis, uh, renowned college basketball writer and analyst, quote tweeted and said, I almost never miss my afternoon nap. Is there a large segment of the population that is just out here taking naps every day while the rest of us don't get that? The answer there is yes. Now, Nick, you work in a very tough, you work in a very tough slot to be taking afternoon naps. I mean, you're working. You're, you're two to seven. You're on the air. You get here at you know, eleven thirty noon or whatever. And I know you're up dealing with the kids and everything in the morning. And then you're, you know, you got to do prep. You got to get ready for the show. You are go 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 from the time you wake up. And everybody's that way. And everybody has to be that way. Now, I don't take naps at this point in life, uh, but that's because I got a, a nine-month-old daughter. And also, my sleep apnea is taken care of at this point. My sleep apnea has been a godsend for me. An absolute, I mean, listen, if you think you might have sleep apnea. Jonathan Peterson here for sleep apnea across the country. Uh, seriously, it, it's game changer. But yeah, I'm pro-nap in general in life. I don't get them anymore. I love a nap. A nap's great, but you got to do it right. A nap can't turn from 20 minutes into three, four hours, because then you kill yourself for trying to sleep at night. You can do the 20 minute nap, 20, 25 minute nap. That's the sweet spot. That's what that's what that's all about. I'm surprised though. I am surprised that someone as big and as notable would admit to taking a nap. I feel like that's the type of thing that like like the people that are very busy people don't ever admit to. Next up, Ken and Lima on Deshaun's play. In wanting the Browns to go do that, like I did, I was very vocal about it at the time was that I thought he had a chance to be that guy. I I posted a video from his rookie year, his seventh ever game. It was against the Legion of Boom. He was just chucking the ball up and down the field. He was running. I think he ended up with four touchdown passes in that game, 480, 460 total yards. He had like five of those games his rookie year, better than anything remotely that he sniffed in a Browns uniform. If you would have told me that that is no longer available, I would not have wanted to trade for him and trade the assets and done that. John Greco is basically, am I misreading what he said? Am I not understanding what he said? Did it sound like he said, we've got to adjust our conversation about the ceiling recalibrate that looking for him to be that guy from 2017, 2018, 2019, like that's over? Because if that's over, then I, I regret the trade. I can officially say today I would regret the trade if we can't get that. I mean, that was the impression I got with John Greco. You can obviously rewind and listen to that interview. We'll have it for you guys later on tonight at 1120. That was the impression I got out of it, though. Yeah. Greco's saying we got to stop living in the past with Deshaun Watson, and we got to look forward to what he potentially could be, but it's not what he was in Houston, and I just disagree. Now, he's got more evidence on his side than I do currently, but I'm telling you, emotionally, I feel like something turned with Deshaun. I feel like there, there's something there to the idea 
that he, he built up some confidence, not only in this Cardinals game, but also in that Titans game. And he, he just doesn't feel like the villain anymore to a lot of people. And I feel like with time, that was the only way to heal that. And it's only gotten better and better as weeks have moved on. Maybe, he not, maybe he'll never get there, but I can't call it this early. Not this early. And that is the fan focus. All right, we come on back. Daryl Ryder going to join us with the latest on Deshaun Watson. Also, what does he think about this Baltimore matchup? Does he feel the same way I do? I'm a little nervous about Baltimore. I do believe they're a very good team, and I underrated them this offseason, and I'm not going to do it again. It's overtime with Jonathan Beadle here with you on the fan. 